Today's reading from the New Testament can be found on page four of your bulletins. It's 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.13. That's on page four of your bulletins. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves knew that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. I can see you differently from here, and that's a good thing. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much that we can be together right now. Thank you for your faithfulness to bring your word into our lives. We pray you give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Who could answer these questions about you? Your favorite restaurant? Your favorite hobby? An upcoming event in your life? A medical problem that's concerning you? Now, maybe you could say, it's my roommate, or it's my siblings, or it's my spouse. But that might not be the case. It may uh, be the fact that they don't know the answer to that, which makes the question all the more painful, right? Because uh, the question is really, who do you share life with? And who shares life with you? And for some of us, maybe we can immediately mention someone's name. And for the others of us, we struggle to know who shares life with us. But for all of us, it's a difficult question to answer these days. If not for the pace of life, I mean, things just move so fast, we're all so busy. 
if not for the mobility of life, many of our relationships are just spread out all over the place. It may be culture. Uh, There's been a lot of writing, of course, on collective cultures and individualistic cultures. Collective cultures like Korea or China that focus much on family and the group and the team, whereas individualistic cultures like the United States very much are about self-determination, right, self-achievement, personal choice, which means it can be lonely. It can be lonely. And it affects our ability to do spiritual life together. And it's not the experience that God has for us. It's not the experience that God wants for those that enter into his community. If you read the summaries of the early church in the book of Acts, both chapter 2 and 4, I'll tell you, it's enough to make your uh, soul water. It talks about this community. They were all together in one place. They were in one another's homes. They were of one heart and of one soul and of one mind. They were sharing life together, doing it together. And in this third chapter, the Apostle Paul shares a heart, the the inside look, the holy affection that was driving that sort of community. You know, he, he sort of pulls things back and shows us what were their hearts like because this was one of those churches, the church in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica, rather. And it really gets to the main theme of this book, and that is how can a people live faithfully until they meet God or God returns? And holy affection is a strength and power that I don't think we often reflect about. So I want to do that this evening together, uh, looking at the basis of that affection and then the importance of that affection. Um, Now, we begin where Timothy has come to Paul, and I I read more of the passage than than we're going to dial in on. Uh, Timothy was sent by Paul in really into harm's way because the Thessalonians were being persecuted, but he just has to get a report about how how these people are doing because he loves them so. And he says, when Timmy, Timmy, by the way, uh, that's what, uh, that was Paul's shorthand for him. Not many scholars know that, uh, but I know it. Uh, that's what you get for abbreviating in your notes. Um, when Timothy has come to us from you, he brought us the good news of your faith and love. And that phrase, good news, is the same good news translated as gospel elsewhere. So it's as if Paul is saying this. We could literally translate it. When Timothy brought the gospel of your faith and love, when he brought the gospel of your faith and love to us, which tells us a few things. First of all, the Thessalonians' lives were telling a story. Their lives were telling a story, just like your life tells a story. And my life tells a story. We love stories of lives that inspire us. Maybe it's the story of someone born into slavery and they rise to become a great intellectual and orator. Maybe it's the story of someone that's been on the bench and they come off the bench and they take it to the championship. We love stories of lives. That's why we read biographies. That's why we watch documentaries. At least I do. 
But you know something? Your life not only tells a story, your life tells a gospel. The gospel, a gospel is a message of salvation. So whether you're someone that considers yourself a Christian here or not, your life is declaring some message of salvation. And there are really just two messages available. The one would be, your life is telling the gospel that I'm saving myself. That's what I'm trying to do. It might be uh, through success. It might be through wanting to have self-worth defined, to justify oneself. It might be through one's five-year plan. It might be trying to get through a perfect body. I mean, all these different ways that we can be trying to save ourselves, and we are day to day working in our lives. And usually what happens is the result is anxiety and depression because you're living a life of up and down, up and down, and basically you swing from the poles, I'm so great and I'm so terrible. That's what happens for the life that is declaring that gospel. But there's a second one, another life story, and that is that God has saved me. God has saved me, God is saving me, and God will save me. It tells the story of the Son of God that has come to earth in flesh and blood, who gave himself because he loved me, who was crucified because he loved me. This is another gospel story. Its anthem is amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Its hymn is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's that gospel It's that story that's coming through a life. And instead of anxiety, he tells us it leads to faith and love. And this is the gospel story that Paul sees in the Thessalonians, and it's why he is so encouraged. And so the question I would put before you is, what gospel is your life preaching? As you look at your life, what gospel is it preaching? Because it's preaching something. I was reminded recently, uh, Meg and I... um, uh, last week, we're invited to a neighbor's birthday party. It was at a local restaurant. And we went there, and, uh, you know, we didn't know anybody there uh, except for actually the parents of the, you know, the birthday person and uh, her spouse. And we just sort of mingled in. And you know how there's a lot of people in the room, and you just kind of grab someone. I usually grab the person that doesn't look like they have anybody to talk to because I feel that way. And uh, I went up, and... Um, started talking with this guy, where are you from, Silver Spring, and just trying to make conversation. I said, well, he said, yeah, I really like downtown Silver Spring. I was there recently. A pastor friend of mine got a church going in Silver Spring, and he said, what's his name? And I was like, oh, come on. You know, he's not going to know his name. And you all know, it's Joel Sinclair, who is uh, Silver Spring Mosaic. He's preached here. And uh, I said, Joel, and he goes, I coach his daughter at soccer. I was like, are you kidding me? And, and then he, went, he goes on to go, man, he is great. I, I love Joel. And then his wife came over, and she said, do you know them? We love that family. You know, Joel, the thing I like about Joel is, you know, he's just not one of these nice pastors. He talks trash when he plays sports. You know, <laughs> you know he, he really sort of gets into things. And then he said, in their family, and then the wife said this, you know something? They've, they've figured out how to do life. And by that, they didn't mean they're perfect or they got it all together. But it was the gospel that Joel's family's life is preaching. There was a joy, there was a messiness, but there was this idea that God was in the mix. 
Their life was preaching a gospel. The story that each of us need in one another's lives more than anything is the story of God's grace. You know, we're tempted to tell each other other stories, aren't we? Maybe it's the story of what I'm accomplishing. Maybe it's the story of the the cool things I've got to do. Maybe it's the story of the person that's into me and likes me. You know, those stories can be interesting, but the story that we better share and we need from one another is the story of God's grace in your life. That's what I need. That's what you need. But this gets to a second thing of the basis of affection, and that is the light by which we see people has everything to do with the story that we're able to tell. We only can tell a story of that which we see. Now, if you're a photographer, you know light is a big deal, right? The kind of light you have has everything to do with the subject and how you perceive them. Well, you know, there are really two lights in the world, just like there are two stories to tell. There are just two lights by which to see people. One is the light of heaven, the other is the light of the world. And by that light of the world, I don't mean Jesus, the light of the world. I mean light from the culture, from that vantage point. Now, back in the Old Testament, Samuel, the prophet, was directed by God to go anoint a new king. And uh, he said, I want you to go to anoint a new king. I want you to go to Jesse's sons. And uh, Jesse had a lot of sons, and Samuel has to sit there and go through the sons. And he finally arrives at the one that's tallest, that seems most impressive, that's most muscular, that has it together, and he thinks that's got to be the one. And God says, oh, no, no, Samuel. Oh, no, no. I, I told you, right? Don't look at his outward appearance. That's what man looks at. I look at the heart. So God was trying to teach him this message from the, begin, from the beginning that the light by which Samuel needed to see things was by the light of God's kingdom, light of God's perspective. I was reading an article uh, online, Daily Telegraph, and it was an article about, actually it was a bit more of like a rant, of uh, why we treat actors as experts, right? Why we treat, and I don't think it's just actors, I think it's musicians, any celebrities, we treat them as experts, right? Because they acted a movie, well, what do you think about foreign policy? You know, what do you think about the problems in this world? And it just shows you, you know, in this particular culture, how much we want to view things by the light of celebrity, you know, celebrities or by the light of talented people or the light of beautiful people. It's very much in all of us. Paul told the Corinthian church, who was very much into that sort of perspective, he said to them, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And that means that when someone comes to understand Jesus Christ and knows Jesus Christ, they no longer look at people like the world does. And that makes a world of difference. They see them not just as something that got thrown together, but as Tom was praying, something fearfully and wonderfully made, someone made in the image of God. They can look outside their own race and culture and see beauty elsewhere. They don't look at people that are just celebrated at the top. They're able to see beauty in the margins. They're able to look outside the spotlight. They're able to dance outside the spotlight because they see what's happening in the lives of people. And Paul has this perspective with the Thessalonians. He says, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. It's the way I see you before God that has filled my heart with holy affection. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
was a German pastor who was martyred under Hitler. Many of you know that. I want you to listen to the way he thinks about the gospel in relationships. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon him nor come to him. But without Christ, we also would not know our brother, nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Do you hear what he's saying there? That when someone gets in relationship with Jesus Christ, it then opens up doors to relationships they didn't have before. I mean, this is one of the challenging questions to you and I here. Has the Christian faith, has the gospel caused you to be friends with people that normally you wouldn't have? As you look at your social calendar right now, as you look at your friendships right now, do you find that there are really unexplainable, unlikely friendships? Things that you go, this would never make any sense apart from the grace of God. It was Christ that drew us together. But there are two other things along with this I think we have to consider. The way the affection expresses itself. First of all, it expresses our desires for people. Uh, I find when someone in my life is struggling, maybe they're struggling financially, um, you know, maybe they're struggling with a sickness, maybe they're lonely, I find that what I want, often want for them is I want the world for them. I want the world. Even my prayers might go like that. God, just give them some money. Make the job work. Help them find someone to marry. Just make them better tomorrow. Now, don't get me wrong. It's appropriate to pray those sorts of prayers. But what's, what I see here with Paul is the Thessalonians are facing persecution. And listen to what he says. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. In your faith. Because he understands if their faith is completed, they'll be able to endure anything. He doesn't say night and day so I can protect you from the persecution, that I can say it's going to be okay, but rather that I can complete your understanding of the gospel in God in your life. And it also gets to our aspirations about people. And in this case, love and holiness. Toward the end of the passage, Paul mentions, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. May the Lord make you increase abound in love for one another so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father in Jesus Christ. If you and I really have love for one another, if you really love someone, you will want them to be holy. If you really love someone, you will want them to be holy. You will want them to embrace more deeply the commands of Jesus Christ. Now, I know this goes counter to the way that we think in our culture because typically holiness is seen as a damper on happiness. Commandments are seen as rules that kill desires. And the truth be told, I think many times what we want for people in our lives is their happiness more than their holiness. But if you have a friendship in your life and you know that they're a professing Christian and you know that they're living in a way that's contrary to the commandments of God, if you don't speak to them, you don't love them. And I don't love them. Because this is the love, and maybe think about it this way. Many of you are familiar with the work of Brene Brown, sociologist who speaks a lot about vulnerability and shame. I mean, literally, I think like five million people have been to her YouTube video. How many of you have been to the YouTube video? 
Okay, you're part of the five million, a lot of people, right? But she, um, she said something that really caught my attention. She said, the most loving and generous people are the most boundaried people. The most loving and generous people are the most boundaried people, people that can draw boundaries, people that can love but also say, this is okay and this is not okay. Boundaries are just holiness. I mean, God loves, but God has boundaries. It's called holiness. And so really, if you're not able to put in boundaries with holiness, you're not able to love people and you can't show them what we call holy affection. But now I want to move to the last point, which is the importance of the holy affection. Now, toward the end of this letter, when Paul is talking about the Thessalonians, uh, you may have heard it read and thought, man, I don't know, Paul sounds a little codependent to me, doesn't he? He's just kind of like, I couldn't wait to hear from you. I didn't tell Timothy. You're like, this reminds me of a relationship I was in. I don't want to be part of it. Uh, you know, he sounds a little mushy, a little needy. Now, if you, if you know anything about Paul's story, you realize what a change. In the book of Acts, you know, when the first Christian is martyred, first Christian is killed, uh, it says that the garments were laid at the feet of a young man named Saul. That was Paul when he was younger, Saul. John Calvin says the reason the text mentions that he was young was to probably let us know it's a good thing God caught him and converted him when he was young because he had a lot of hatred in him and a lot of damage he was going to do. He was described as a wild boar. He went from city to city with letters from the high priest. He split up families through mothers and fathers in prison. Kids were orphaned. He was part of overseeing executions of people. This was a dude who was angry, hard-hearted, and wouldn't think twice about getting rid of you if you weren't on his page. And now look what happened to him. What a transformation. If anybody here feels like you got a heart the size of a raisin, if anybody here feels like, man, I'm just hard-hearted, I'm not compassionate, there's hope for you because of what God did in the life of the Apostle Paul. This transformation for what you are our hope, our joy, our crown, our boasting. You're our glory, you're our joy. But even more than the fact that Paul loved them, he needed them. And this is astounding. This great apostle, this great theologian, this great missionary needed them for his faith. Paul expresses his need. For this, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For now we live if you are standing. You hear what he said? I can live knowing that you're standing fast in God. His life is so bound up with them. He said, we couldn't be comforted until I knew about you. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't rest until I knew about you. And there's two things about that that Paul wanted. First of all, he desired their physical presence. Um, not too, uh, well, recently one of our members had to go to the hospital and uh, to get some surgeries, some heart surgeries. And, um, you know, as those of us in the community have been in contact with him, um, his wife has been at the bedside 24-7, but he had to get a second surgery and said, you know, I really don't want to be alone that night. And so two of the brothers in this community who are already very busy, fathers of young kids, went and slept in his hospital room. You know, slept on the couch, slept in the chair. And you know what impressed me about that? It wasn't 
Well, it was. It was the love of those brothers. But you want to impress me more? The fact that he asked. The fact that he asked. Again, listen to Bonhoeffer. He says this. If I can find it. There we go. The believer feels no shame as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. In the presence of another Christian, the gracious presence of the triune God. You know, many times I think we think um, it's weird if I should need someone so much. If I were a strong Christian, I remember thinking this, I was a younger Christian. If I were really strong, in fact, I remember someone talked about needing someone, and I said as a young, arrogant Christian, listen, if your faith was strong, you don't really need people. You don't really need people. If your faith is strong enough, you don't need people. What a fool I was. The Apostle Paul saying, I need you. And it's not just he needs their physical presence. And let me just say this. We need to show up. Show up to your community group. Show up to your service project. Show up to worship. Because we need the physical presence of one another. You know, the cyber presence is nice and texts are nice, but we need the presence of one another. It's part of the ministry that God does each week, in and out. But also, he needed spiritual encouragement. Paul again said, you bring good news to me. I need the gospel from you. And I'm going to make you sit through one last quote from Bonhoeffer, and we'll close. He says this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Doesn't that describe your experience? It describes mine experience. You know, I need, on a given day, a word from a brother because the Christ of my own heart is weak that day. The gospel is weak that day. And so, as we think about what it means to become this community of God, this holy affection, it's a community where, you know, what we find is the basis of, of affection is different than what we find in the world. Sure, we can love people's gifts and they're funny and the way they make me feel. And yes, we're drawn to physical attraction and sense of humor and all those things. But come on, that's, that's all the world has going for it. Those are the idols that rule Washington, D.C. But when you come to know Christ, you begin to say, no, my value, what a great place for us to learn this because this is such a hard place to learn this, where affection begins to be drawn in Christ. But second of all, we start to go, you know, I need people. I need them. I need their word. I need what God is teaching them. I need their life. I need their physical presence. Let's pray that God will give us that. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you gave yourself to your people. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the provision you've brought to us in Christ.
In your name we pray. Amen.